welcome to Tipping the Balance. I'm Katie Hickey, your host, and today we hear from Kemi Johnson. Kemi takes us on a journey through her life and explains how she always felt a calling to become a midwife from a very young age. Kemi was finally able to accept that calling in her late 30s and she retrained as a midwife whilst raising her children as a single mother. We discuss what it means to find balance in the birth world and the seemingly opposing sides of birth, the medical institution on one side and the staunch opposition of anything medical on the other. We talk openly about the failings of the current maternity system, so please take care of yourself whilst listening if you're currently pregnant or have experienced birth trauma yourself. Kemi shares her experience of racism as a black midwife and what she's learned by going through the system and coming all the way out the other side. If you enjoy the show, please share with a friend who you know will enjoy listening. So welcome, Kemi, to Tipping the Balance. I'm really excited to have you on the show. You are an amazing birthkeeper. We're going to talk all about your journey to kind of get where how you got to where you are now because I know that's actually a really interesting story and you and I have been chatting online about this kind of difficulty that we feel of uh, finding balance in the birth world and you know the kind of highly medicalized versus the other kind of group on the other end of the spectrum which is goes against all medicine um and feeling you know that there's got to be a kind of middle ground but that's Um, really fine line to tread etc so um I'm really excited to talk to you about all of those things because yeah I bet it will be quite a juicy (laughs) juicy Uh chat oh Um, yeah (laughs) so before we delve in could you just give a little introduction um just say you know who you are and um yeah just tell us a bit about your your story because it's absolutely fascinating and incredibly inspiring thank you thank you I I honestly when you look back at all the twists and turns you really can't believe where you've ended up sometimes (laughs) And it, it just, it really has helped me to take the rough of the smooth and realise that every um, thing that occurs in life, it sounds woo-woo, but is for our good. Um, mm. We grow from it and it helps refine who we are and what we're here to do. And, um, I, you know, I got another little tiny course correction in December when um, I'd been with my sister. We'd run around town getting stuff done and we'd got back to my dad's house and parked my car right in front of my dad's house. She was going to get out of the car and I was going to stay in it. And it's my habit to sit in the car and just check who's been trying to message me whilst I've been driving, etc. But this time I said, you've got a lot of things in your hands. Um, let me take some in. And she said, oh, no, you must be so tired. And I said, oh, no, let me bring some stuff in. And I got them some stuff off the back seat of the car and walked into the house with her. And um, a drunk driver with two friends plowed into my car um, at, at speed, about 60 miles per hour. My car was stationary, but they were coming around the corner. Mm-hmm. And... Um, hit my car and it was smashed to smithereens the 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 fire brigade were called and had to pick up pieces of my car from quite a wide radius and it was clear you know I couldn't open the 
front car door or anything. We had to climb in through the boots of the car. It was quite clear that if we'd stayed in it, we both would have been killed. And my sister is a main carer for my dad, who is virtually immobile. Um, Mm. And so it would have been horrific. When I saw that, um, you know, for about 10 seconds, I, I, I was angry. It was scared. I was... Um, and then shocked and then I was really celebratory because I realized you know there's no bigger sign that we were actually supposed to be here because we were literally in the car 60 seconds earlier so I I, I took that as my third um, massive course correction in my life I've had two other similar situations where you could you could you know you were within touching distance of death and realize that I'm clearly supposed to be here (laughs) so um (laughs) So it really helps me. So just 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 to say that, you know, then wow. I I got um and, and so, so anyone who knows me would have seen the volume, my volume turned up in January. I just turned it up because um I realized what I was here to do and it's uncompromising. Mm. And it's basically to facilitate families to have their happiest, healthiest, safest birth. Mm. Now everyone thinks that safe means oh that surely means the the delivery suite, you know, with doctors just outside your room but actually the evidence good evidence not any old evidence good evidence shows the opposite that actually mm. you're at risk of more harm because you're under delivery suite with doctors just outside the door or inside the door or inside your vagina for that matter yes. so um i um i got the call it was a very very clear call I realised now I was getting the call from about the age of four. I'd say to people 15, but from the age of four to nine, I woke up every middle of every night screaming because my bedroom was burning. And so there was fire all around my bed. Um, And then I'd wake up. And that happened every night for five years. And I was quite an ill child. I had bags under my eyes because I was sleep deprived. And... um, I limped along, but I didn't have the energy that most children would have because I wasn't sleeping at night. Mm. Um, then my 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 grandmother, who I found out was like the herbalist medicine woman midwife for her area. Mm. She, um, but I didn't find that out until like five years ago. Um, she visited me. So this all sounds very human, but it's true. No, I, this is amazing. <laughs> I got a visit from her, but it frightened me so much um, I that I asked her basically, don't do that again. And she didn't until I was about 30 years old. Um, and then by then I, I'd had my call at age of 15. Like I was reading something and then burst into tears and realized I need to be a midwife. And you've heard this, you know, my dad was adamant. You know, they, they'd sent me, I, well, I had a scholarship for private school from like the age of 11, but, mm. you know, they had to pay for all the ski holidays and stuff. <laughs> and yeah. and um, I, uh, so I, um, I was there, it was a blessing, really got, got a lovely education, um, you know, and then I'm saying to him at the age of 15, I think I want to be a midwife. And he said, oh, no, no, a doctor. You'll be the first doctor in our family. I said, oh, no. 
it's not a doctor, it's a midwife. He said, no, you want to be an obstetrician? No, I don't. I want to be mm. a midwife. Mm. And so um, then I, I was kind of in rebellion. So h- halfway rebelled by becoming an accountant. Said, right, <laughs> I'm not going to be a midwife, I'll be an accountant. It that the sounds like story. a very unlikely rebellion. I know. What's the most <laughs> rebellious thing I could do? Be yes, an accountant, so. which is really like... Rebellion. I'm proud. <laughs> I'm proud, okay? So, so I'm going to play with numbers. I'm not going to be an obstetrician. I'll play with numbers. And then eventually I was, I was sat in a, an office um, one day. My manager had, had gone away on sabbatical, so I kind of acted up into her role whilst she was missing. And then she, she asked me to... She came back from the airport and she asked me to stay in the office that she could just hand over. And she walked in and I was sobbing my heart out. And she thought I'd really fudged the accounts or got told off by the auditors or something. And she was... And then she said, what, what's wrong? And when I eventually dried up and was like stuttering, gasped, like, I need to be a midwife. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, well, just go on then. <laughs> All the drama. And then um, and then I did. So I went and did my studying and, and became halfway through, I realized that the kind of obstetric nursing and abuse that I was um party to, because I could hear it through the walls, or one time I saw my my midwife mentor, she went and took the cord from around the baby's neck for no good reason. So the baby's head was born. Mm. And then she went and against good practice, because by then we knew best practice was to wait. Mm. But she was old fashioned, wanted to do it her way, pulls the cord over the baby's head and snaps the cord away from the baby's umpilicus. So then the baby, then she struggled to get the baby to come and the baby passed out. So it took a lot of help to get the baby out. And then the baby had to go to NICU. So neonatal intensive care. So that was really, that was a good course correction. It wasn't like a life or death course correction for my for me, which I've had, but I, I watched this baby pass out and I just mm. thought, no, um, the, the, you know, that was poor practice, I know, but I need to get myself in a situation where I'm not in the room where this kind of stuff is happening all the time because it was traumatizing me. Mm. and so I knew I needed to be independent um and so thankfully I was shown they're not independent anymore um they've retired but I was shown some lovely things by some independent midwives and then eventually felt brave enough to um go out with a second midwife and then eventually felt brave enough to go out with wonderful doulas so Mm. um how I rounded off my career in the UK was working with doulas um very close as a team sisterhood Mm. it's it so that to me that was the high point of my birth keeping in the UK Mm. working with doulas and what was it like having a career change kind of later on in life because you were in your 30s weren't yeah. you when you did your I was training in my 30s. yeah that's right how um, was it? it it was amazing obviously it's in abject poverty <laughs> 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 I was a single parent all the way through um my children's lives I was, I was just a single parent but when you were earning money in accountancy um and especially I then started working for myself so I had my own little office in my house etc it was blissful and we got used to a certain standard a standard of living 
Um, it, I mean, I was a single parent, so it was always, you know, against the line. But, you know, we had nice things and a nice house, etc. Um, but then, then to go into midwifery and be living on a pittance and, and then having to do work, which honestly I loved as a healthcare assistant. I used to be around there singing, buying chocolate and fruit and everything. I was high as a kite being a healthcare assistant and mm. <laughs> trying to figure out why. But I was working as that during my training. And um, I, it, yeah, I was in poverty. But, it, but that's the only thing that I would say was a challenge. But just me being or beginning to touch my role um, in midwifery was enough for it to be worth it all. And, mm. um, and the bit I loved most about it was the relationships. It was, it was the, the cuddles. It was the occasional eye contact, the squeeze of the hands. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it, it was about the women that I was serving. And of course I adore babies, <laughs> but it was about women I was serving. And, yeah. and I, I was so in where I was supposed to be, midwife. And so that helped. It was only when I was on things like delivery suite and seeing and hearing the abuse that I couldn't cope. If I was elsewhere, I could, you know, I could get through. Mm. And um, so, yeah, so that's why I realised I am very good at intrapartum care. I can't do it within the unit. I can't do it in birth centres because they walk a tightrope, you know, and I... I, I just would rather just focus on giving the best care to women rather than all the politics of keeping mm. the unit open and what the other midwives in the in, in the hospital think of me and things like that. You know, I, I just wanted to get out of all the politics. So working directly for families was by far the best decision I'd mm. made at that, the best decision I could make at that point. And what do you think about independent midwives are... Uh always you know it's like a witch hunt against them um everything yeah. seems to be being done to prevent midwives from working outside of this system yeah. outside of the NHS yeah. system um yeah and that is a travesty you know it's an out it's yeah. it's disgusting that you know, yeah. these, the choices and um options are kind of being taken away I mean was that yeah. was that part of the reason that led you to kind of leave the um, the register, and, yeah, the nursing. Right, so so the register has always been a challenge for me because I'd look at what I was called to do and what clearly parents want, compare it with what was being encouraged by them. I mean, a silly one is like I remember them handing down some edict that midwives are not supposed to knit at births. Now I know that women giving birth if they can hear the midwife clicking away you know on a creation rather than staring at her you know her anus or something that they're more comfortable they're more comfortable knowing that our eyes are somewhere else we're there so they gain they gain peace from our presence mm. but at the same time they know they're not being hotly observed mm. so I remember when when that was happening and I thought is that really all you're concerned about <laughs> like, <laughs> I just heard a woman sounding like she was being murdered in room seven. But you think that's okay. Yeah. But me knitting really worries you. Or, yeah. you know, or exchanging phone numbers. 
exchanging phone numbers with someone you've looked after who wants to send you a bunch of flowers or wants to, you know, apparently that's that's really bad. That's really mm. bad. But someone pulling on someone's cord and placenta without having given the oxytocin, mixed management, you're not really bothered about that, are you? Mm. So, I, I, so I've, I've always had this enmity. And then June 2020 came and went, and that was the end of of insurance, public indemnity insurance provision by Berkshire Hathaway, who are an American company, and they were withdrawing their um, insurance products because basically it wasn't worth the money for how many, we'd been so decimated already. So, you know, how many midwives were left? They, they, it wasn't turning a great profit for them. We weren't making claims, but, and also Boris Johnson had been voted in, you know, so the Brexit thing was happening. Um, you know, now the whole world's down the toilet, but at that time it looked like it was just going to be the UK down the toilet and they, <laughs> and they just jumped ship. So quite rightly, what we'd have expected is for the government to work with the NMC to make sure that we could carry on working until we found a public indemnity insurance solution. Oh no, instead the NMC threw us under the bus. If you guys don't stop going to births, you're going to be deregistered. So they did the exact opposite of what you'd expect them to do to help their registrants. Mm -hmm. But we're just a tiny amount of their registrants and they'd really much rather we'd stop being annoying and big mouth and just join the NHS midwives where we can be compliant and subservient to save our jobs, careers, to stop ourselves from jumping off of the roof, et cetera, which mm -hmm. happens, midwives commit suicide. Mm -hmm. so, the, so with all of that, the backdrop, and them not helping us with insurance. Basically, independent midwifery is eradicated in the country at the moment, in the UK. Um, independent midwives can go and work for private midwives, but then private midwives is a company that has its own constraints on their practice. So you basically independent midwifery in the true sense of the word is gone and it's quietly gone. And there's been no announcement from the Nursing Midwifery Council, our registration body or whatever. And so, I was going to swear just then, but I just thought... You can if you want to, that's okay. <laughs> I did think, fuck y'all, fuck you. Yeah? Yeah. I'm, yeah. Going to, I'm going to do it my way. And I towed the line all through this time. I've got a good brain. I want people to have safe, healthy births. I'm not a maverick. I know how to, you know, resolve a shoulder dystocia without breaking a baby's clavicle or causing brachial plexus injuries, mm. which, which I think is a great skill. But the NMC seem okay with people doing that in the unit. All these unnecessary harms coming to babies, rather mm. than just saying, "Oi, you're doing it wrong." To yeah. do it properly, you know, there's a course online for 20 quid for shoulder dystocia, mm -hmm. you know, but they're not even encouraging that. They could buy, they could put like half of their regist registrants through that course and, and it would help the outcome for shoulder dystocia. But no, you don't want to do that. And when that reminds me of something I've wondered for a long time, uh, you know, because as my work as a doula, I feel uh. as though most of my job which some midwives or obstetricians might say oh I don't really think that is the role of a doula but my no. I think the main job that I had is actually 
helping to inform and educate the families that I work with, like sharing information with them, you know, research. Um, yes. That, because actually when you start looking at policies and guidelines inside hospitals and birth centers, oh. and then you start looking at the, the kind of research and the scientific evidence around uh. birth and physiological birth, uh. et cetera, you quickly uh. notice that, the, the policies and guidelines aren't backed up by evidence no. and and what what shocks me on an almost daily basis is how so many midwives and I don't want to bash midwives because I you know no, I, not I fully understand that they have got a very difficult job and they're, the they're in difficult. a toxic they're in a toxic system Seriously. and it's really yeah, and like hard vicariously being abused and yes. everything bullied constrained yes. threatened everything but the, the whole lot I just don't understand why I know you said you're not a maverick, but and I and I totally agree. But like, why is it that so few midwives, it seems, are kind of up to date with what the like evidence shows? You know, like let's look at continuous monitoring as an example. That's yeah. like, yeah, that is a kind of um, blanket policy. I mean, all, I reckon almost every person that goes into a hospital or birth center, you will will probably have continuous monitoring even before they're allowed into the birth center or whatever yeah, yeah. almost every single person will have had that at, at some point during their labor at but it's not backed up by evidence so no where where's the disparity but it, is backed up. it is backed up by having um some tracing paper with a little squiggly line on it um, that you can use if you go to court, if you have to go to the trust lawyers, or so it, it, that's what it's about, really. It's not because we think that it's saving lives, it's evidence of what our decision making was, at what point, why we made it, etc. Mm -hmm. And also, the thing about the, how we analyze these traces uh, from the CTG is it's very subjective. There was some research where they put a trace in front of a mixture of obstetricians and midwives um, to analyze. And so they all analyze the trace and say, thank you very much. And six months later, they got the same ones in and put the same trace in front of them. And not one of them gave the same analysis oh, of the trace. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's just like, yeah, you might as well just get a bunch of four-year-olds having a look at these traces. Like, you know, you can, you can make it up. You could literally just make it Seriously. up. Seriously. And this is no slight on the clinicians who, uh, I'd say, I'm not going to say all of them. Um, I'd say probably a decent, a decent, I'm not going to say minority. Probably, I'm going to go 50-50. Mm -hmm. a really 50% are really really interested in doing their best job on behalf of the women and babies in their care within the constraints of the policies who else is in the room the coordinator and whatever else and the lawyers right mm -hmm. and the other half will just do whatever they can get away with I'm sorry mm -hmm. they'll just do whatever they can get away with the thing about this is the ones, the half that genuinely breaking their hearts over the state of the system, if they try and do anything to improve it, they get bullied. If they stick their head above a parrot, it does get blown off. 
if they try and whistleblow, they're threatened. I've, 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 I've been getting a lot of that this week. I've shared some stories, but a lot of stories I can't share that I've received from midwives because they're terrified because they've been threatened. You know, so it, it and, and I mean threatened, like you'll never work again. You, I will report you to the NMC for blah, blah, blah. Knowing that the NMC are very punitive towards mm-hmm. their registrants. So that, that's like wait until your father gets home. You know, it's, it's very, very, very difficult for us to really appreciate the hell that some of those, and I mean hell, the word mm. suicidal is mentioned so often oh, when I listen to midwives. So we do have a big problem. And this is where, you know, I'm so grateful that you've invited me to have this chat with you about balance. Mm. It seems almost impossible, though, for the midwives to to even start to know how to find any balance for them. You know, like yeah. it's just it's heartbreaking. I can't I really it makes me feel so upset to think of, yeah. you know, because what what I say to parents that I work with is that um, I often say, you know, think about the reasons people go into midwifery people surely the majority of people go into midwifery because they you know love women they want to help babies and women and um and anyone else you know having a baby they just they don't go into it because they you know are are unkind unloving uh, people so I think I always think like well what in what kind of inspires someone to go down that path but slowly they get worn down and broken yes. and traumatized and yeah and so many as it's, you say the so they're suicidal well, the institution as well you know it's the institution there's you know I've got a couple of low points as regards to my behavior when I was in that institution but that really helped because I thought oh who's that like I looked in the mirror and thought oh you're awful mm-hmm. get out it's no good for you you know I, I, I remember, oh God, I, so I thought I'd, my back's arching at the thought of it, but I remember mistreating a woman because she had green um, amniotic fluid leaking. So she'd had, um, baby had passed meconium, it was a bit old. She said she's, she started le- le- leaking green meconium about three days ago. I'm going to confess this because hopefully it will help the listeners to understand how bad it can get and how it can affect you like you just become indoctrinated so she was 42 weeks and three days and around 42 weeks her waters had gone she started to leak green fluid but she was waiting for spontaneous labor she was expected management right so mm. she came she brought herself in on day three and said, oh, you know, my labor's not starting. I think I might need some help. Can you check the baby? So she brought herself in. Mm-hmm. And I was so mean to her. I oh, treated her like a four-year-old. Well, I wouldn't even treat a four-year-old the way I treated her, to be honest. I was so disgusted with her because her waters had gone and she hadn't come in. I was disgusted with her because she was 42 weeks and three days pregnant. I was disgusted with her because the colour of the water. So I didn't give her any eye contact. I barely spoke to her. I just grunted questions to give her care, to get her consent. And 
I didn't even think that she might need some water. I didn't ask a healthcare assistant to get her a jug of water or a cup. And she must have, she's in that hot room for about two hours before a healthcare assistant must have gone in to check toilet paper or something and seen that she didn't have a drink. Mm. And then she came to me and said, do you know that the woman in that hasn't even got water? And I went, so? Mm. Yeah. Wow. And well, I'm sorry. That must but be you know what? painful. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible memory. But you know what? It serves me because every time... I get really, really livid with the midwives. I remember that you become, I'm sorry, you can become that. It's like I posted, I, I, like, I, I, I asked you if this was um, visual because oh, I've been crying on and off for a few days. Oh. And I don't look my best. And um, the worst thing was the last thing I posted last night, which... Um, was a woman um, who was told she couldn't have her, she went in for an induction, she told she couldn't have her partner or her dealer with her until she was seen to be an established labour well, or they would do a vaginal examination. So they, um, the woman was, she chose a doula because she'd been absolutely traumatised. She actually got PTSD from her first birth. Mm-hmm. So she got a doula, worked with them, got to know each other. Her doula and her husband were made to sit in a car for six hours until she was deemed to be an established labour. And during that time, she had them on speaker and they just spent six hours healing her, hearing her wailing, six oh. hours. Now, Siobhan Doula, who just the most magnificent doula, um, posted a 10-second clip of her wailing and I went to bed sleep with it on my head I woke up I woke up grateful to wake up as I always am every day mm. and count my blessings and then her wail came into my psyche again and I broke down because w- thankfully I made a sound choice before the system swallowed me up anymore I made the sound choice to come out and apologize and with contrition never harm a woman or baby again it's my pledge mm. and then to, so my first question many questions like she was screaming like that in a room on a ward where there are midwives no one went to help her no one's helping her so at first I just wanted to set fire I just wanted to burn the whole maternity services down mm. last night but then I remembered, well, actually, Kimmy, look what kind of shit you were up to when you are in the system. You could have become that, someone who could carry on working whilst hearing someone basically be, sounding like they're being tortured. Oh, gosh. It's just, it's just horrible. Um, oh, and just to think that, you know, that is not an isolated experience. You know, that is, no. I would... You know, it's sad to say you know, that is the majority of people who experience birth trauma. You know, it's so yeah. prevalent, yeah. so so prevalent. And so, I mean, I think that kind of leads on to um, the other thing that we were discussing earlier this week. You know, messaging each other because 
I'd seen um, a video online that had kind of disturbed me quite a lot because, you know, we discussed earlier trying to kind of find balance in the birth world and you've got this highly medicalized group and, you know, the broken system and taking away all choices and bullying women and bullying midwives and everything. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have, um, I guess, what's seen as kind of radical... um, opponents to anything medical um and and I don't I don't feel like I sit comfortably in either of those groups but when you are when you can see both sides when you can understand you know kind of where this medicalized system comes from and and then you can also understand where the staunch opposition comes from yeah. you you put yourself in a vulnerable position because you can be attacked from both sides so you're <laughs> yeah. it's it's really yeah. it can be a bit scary so I think I think both sides can be really dangerous and what worries me yeah. is is the the side that are the kind of staunch opposition to m- the medicalization of birth um they can do kind of as much harm sometimes because they can I think lead people to believe that, you know, you just, whatever happens, you can just have your baby and, you know, whatever will be, will be, and always have hands off. And there's never kind of a situation where you need to step in. And, and I just thought the video that was shared, um, I don't know if it was the end of last week, it was recently anyway. And I, and I saw the video and I, I cried and I thought, this yeah. is this is dangerous you know because to me looking at it and I am not a I'm not a medical professional but I could see that that the baby in that video to me looked like it wasn't coping and it wasn't breathing and it you know it looked very unwell and I I was deeply disturbed that this was yeah. being posted and lauded as a as a sort of normal physiological birth that didn't require any assistance and so that's yeah. why I reached out to you privately um or, or I messaged yes, you, you but yeah and I just thought god Kemi can you just tell me I'm not being crazy this this doesn't look quite right um yeah. and so you know oh, I'm ranting now but it's just it was I found I felt so shaken by watching that yeah. and, and and scared that people would look at it and then you know maybe if they were pr- preparing to have a baby they would see that and think oh well if this happens at my birth it's normal um yeah so I mean yeah. That's how right. do you feel about this like how do you <laughs> kind of tread that yeah. line it's a it's a fine line to tread so first of all I'll say that I I know my calling was to midwifery I call myself a birth keeper now um and I like it um my calling was to be with woman um for the and I'd say it spares out in my own stats about one in 200 times where you do kind of need to revive a baby so the baby so the baby's been fine and well inside of their parent but the journey out challenges them to the degree that I would say I need to revive them Mm. so when people think revive or they're thinking like all the big guns no I'm actually just meaning help them clear their airway um 
twice I've need to help them take some breaths but that was the early days I think now I've learned now that actually when you turn a baby over onto their belly onto your hands then there's not so pressure on their lungs their lungs can inflate more easily than the way that we've been shown which is to keep them on their backs on the flat surface Mm. unkink their trachea so that they can um, get air in. Yeah, but actually they really benefit from being turned onto their tummies. Um, then the weight isn't, there isn't so much weight on their lungs and they can usually inflate them and anything that's blocking their airway can come out through their mouth because you've got them up the right way. Yeah. Like you would say yeah. if, um, you know, toddlers swallowed something that they couldn't, that got that got lodged to yeah. dislodge it yeah. and turn them onto their fronts. So, um, so you know, sometimes we call this medical, but a lot of us have got first aid skills and I think mm. a lot of us need those skills so to bring them to rather than being told to step off this is not your territory when it comes to childbirth actually it is it's family territory because yeah. childbirth is not a medical event it doesn't mm. need medicine to play out so but occasionally some people giving birth might need medicine so yeah. so so this is why you know this conversation about balance is is excellent so mm. so you know that baby was compromised but because you know part of it part, part of it is just ignorance mm-hmm. you know we or or we're afraid to make a judgment call about babies because it's all birth has all been taken away and put in the obstetric unit and highly medicalized and people with lots of letters after their name running around with baddies etc so we I honestly think that the general public have nothing to offer birth mm-hmm. but it's the actual opposite that baby you saw you felt you cried we did. We, I think most of us did. Otherwise, this wouldn't have been such a hot topic. Mm-hmm. We all were looking at it and saying, that kind of looks like somebody that's compromised. Mm-hmm. Like if we saw, a, a, you know, if you saw an adult like that or a child like that, we'd move very quickly. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because of this apparent reverence for the birth process, and I say apparent, I don't mean to be mean. It's just that the reverence for the process. If the, when a woman, I'm not making assumptions by the way, because some women might invite people to the birth literally to spectate, mm-hmm. but I'm presuming that if a woman says, could you be at my birth? They're hoping that they could be helpful in some way, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It, I've been asking myself this question all week. Like, you know, if, if I've invited someone to the birth, why am I inviting them? Because I'm certainly not in the mood to chat. Um, you know I'm, I'm not so why are they there so so then I got to thinking more about it so actually I think that some of the conversation around this is about protection and I get why we've probably gone to an extreme when it comes to protecting birth space because oh medical services have so fucked birth spaces mm-hmm. like you know a doctor walking in with all of his students can we just bring in one does it have to be all you know why is my room suddenly filled with three six other people my vagina's out my breasts are out my bottom may be distended I have no idea how I'm looking right now because I'm busy having a whole human so I totally get that people are outrightly wanting to reject that scenario. Mm. And I honor 
those birth keepers that want to protect that and hold that space. Mm. But I really do question by going so far as total rejection of giving assistance to a, to a child that is clearly gasping for help. Mm. I can't see, I, I, I've thought about it for a week. I cannot see that a mother, when they've invited someone into their birth space to keep the space and hold the space, which is a priority, otherwise most births won't unfold well. But then the occasional baby that with all the best intentions, all things being equal, healthy mother, healthy baby, you know, they won't know the heart rate because, you know, if you're not a registered midwife, you can't check it in the UK, etc. But all of that, to, to, to then the baby comes, the baby just needs a bit of help for transition. Mm. We, we, we need to know how to give it. Mm. And, and there's occasionally, for me, one in 200 times, it's confident, quick. This is what's happening right now. And the parents are really grateful that I did it. Now, people say, yeah, well, of course they would. They know that, that when they book you, they book you knowing that you can assist. And, I, and so, that, that I, so I have respect for that. If a parent knows that a birth keeper can't assist and books them anyway, then it's a good call for them. And maybe they're saying in their heads, well, you know, the, the, vast, the vast amount of times babies don't need help and that's true because I've not had to help a baby in over a decade not 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 in the way I no, sorry that's not true about once every I don't know four years maybe I'll need to be a bit more vigorous to the baby give them a vigorous rub etc turn them upside down etc not upside down but onto their bellies mm. but I've not seen a baby with a white head since the time when that cord was snapped mm. so I know what it looks like to see a compromised baby not everyone does I just felt rather than the comments saying leave and, and quite rightly some of the comments were saying leave the, the the mother alone it's absolutely her bloody choice who she has there but what and that's her choice that's her baby's journey I was actually I have no criticism of her choices or the journey that transpired. What I do know is that putting underneath a journey like that, that this is normal, this is normal transition, we're reverencing the process and everything, is misleading those, particularly those that want to assist or want to learn how to assist. It's a dangerous, um, I think they're dangerous comments, yeah. it's being real. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I felt it was it was dangerous. And, um, you know, I I didn't feel that I could wade in. I didn't feel like I could actually speak up against that because I knew that it would go nowhere um, and I would just be yeah. completely, you know, ripped to shreds. And, and what yeah. does that say? I think that is... Yeah toxic and that's scary and dangerous that yeah you know they are perpetuating almost exactly the same thing that they're up in arms against in terms of the the medical profession um so, I'll, I'll be real I'll, I'll be real okay let me if you if there were basically if there were 200 births this is just going from my stats so quite I think they're quite reliable stats because 
I don't interfere. I don't do membrane sweeps. I don't, I'm not present in inductions and things like that. So one in 200, so that means a hundred out of two, that there could be 200 people giving birth. Only one of them would have needed a bit more brisk, attentive, confident handling of their child. Mm. The rest will be absolutely fine. So actually the birth keepers, even the ones that don't assist, actually producing better results than the medical profession being real because the majority of people come out of birth with the medical profession with a cut to their vaginas that need suturing or a tear that's bigger than it needed to be because they were on their back or you know headaches or or spinal problems because of the epidural I mean there's a ton of of iatrogenic harm happening Mm. that does not compare to if someone's with a birth keeper who can't or doesn't want to or doesn't seek to assist Mm. and then there's one poorly baby which is really obviously serious but there's so many babies that you know but born in the delivery suite that go to Neela intensive care that have a third of their blood missing from you know within a few minutes of of them being born you know routinely that are having their immune system stolen by antibiotics routinely so I I I can't compare even though we're talking about extremes I really think the harm caused in one extreme is far more in excess than the harm caused at the other extreme Mm -hmm. no and that is actually a really important important point to to make I think I got you know, once I watched that video, it just kind of overtook me, but I haven't been in a hospital setting for quite a long time. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, you know, I think it, you, is you quickly forget, don't you? When it's just that that video was on the front of my mind, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that's, you know, and that is actually the reason I'm sure that, well, yeah, it's our motivation, isn't it? For doing what we do to support, to support people you know outside of the system because we know all too well about the harm that is caused and and it seems like harm that's caused inside of a hospital is is just written off as as okay yes (laughs) harm that's outside a harm that is outside of a hospital is is kind of highlighted and and just made into this big thing we're punished we're punished the parent the parent who chose um, to give birth outside of the system or the hospital because harm happens at home births too with hospital midwives. You know, there's some magnificent home birth teams, but there are a lot with like, you know, actively managed third stages in excess of 50% at home. You know, there's an excuse for. And so those babies are missing a third of their blood from a home birth. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's... It, there's there's a lot to be said for considering giving birth outside of the system but parents that dare but dare to do it they're so punished they're so punished I, I, I was so busy posting all the horrific stuff that our own UK midwives are sending to me and people that are giving birth in the UK that um, I didn't post um, about which I will now because I'm now resuming my normal programming on my insta Mm-hmm. Um, I will post about a woman who's just been um, acquitted um, of a murder charge because her baby was stillborn. 
I think this is in the US. So, so we're really, it was a home birth, of course. Um, and we're really being punished for I'm choosing the system. But choosing the system, you three quarters of the people in the system are coming out with unnecessary wounds. And, uh, you know, I think when I, when I was planning my my birth you know after my previous cesarean I felt Mm -hmm. that I felt that really keenly and I but what I didn't anticipate was the the fear you know I think because you know I totally agree with everything that you've said and I but I I think what I realized when I was actually in my labor at home and um I just I I underestimated the fear that just took over me even though I agree with what you've said and I do think you know birthing outside of the system is you know is great and like power to the people that have the strength to make that Mm. decision but I do I think that a lot of people would like to but they Mm. just feel too afraid to 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 do it Um, yeah absolutely I know I know I know and and fear it it's you know I've had fears that I've had to work with you know I needed help to 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 work with it I've I've had theta healing I've had meta clearing you know all this year just to help me move to my next stage and I just wish I'd done it like 30 years ago Mm. um but it's 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 just and I you see, I, I don't, I know how parents are feeling and, and who am I to say, oh, you know, oh, but you'll be okay. You know, I went to hospital for both of my births and I too, you know, had to be back the second because I had a cesarean for the first for a failed induction. So I know, I know that, you know, people say, okay, so if you were hurt by the hospital, why are you going back to the same place and you've gone into labor? <laughs> you know, it's just mm. weird. So, so I totally understand. And yet we still need to keep talking because I get stories all the time as well and people sending me love, um, you know, saying that they declined this and that and followed their heart and had the most amazing outcome. One, one question that I had for you was, I just wonder, like, how do you cope? Because you must be inundated with people sharing really traumatic things. And, mm. you know, the, the a big feature of this podcast is about mental health. And I just mm. wonder kind of your own personal mental health journey, because you've gone mm. through lots of different stages in your life and mm. you know being a single mom and working in a profession for a long time that you knew kind of truly isn't what you wanted and then mm-hmm. going with your gut and becoming a midwife and then having to witness trauma and um and all of those things and now you know you've stepped away but you're still witnessing trauma because you're being mm-hmm. inundated with it so Mm-hmm. talk a bit about your own kind of mental health journey through all of this that's such a profound question um I always prided myself in being very 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 strong um ambivalent attachments to some very important people in my life because it was risky to get 
too dependent. So I was, um, that, that's how I considered like people that um, I depended on vanished. So I developed a strategy to not get too attached. And um, eventually, obviously your children break that down. They tear that wall down for you. <laughs> um, and yeah, they've, they've been my savior really. They just started to heal me just having them. And I, 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 I'm not putting my healing on my children, but it's just, they're just magnificent. Yeah, they're adults now, we're 30 and 28. And I, um, I, I've always kind of had music as one of my things. Um, so um, that certainly helped me from about the age of nine um help me it would restore me um prayer um which I now I know what prayer is now you know I'm not attached to any ideology or whatever I know what it is now you're basically speaking to your higher self so um I meditate um the the most challenging time I've ever had where I where I was worried very worried was my second year of midwifery training because that's when I realized that I was vicariously being abused Mm -hmm. and um it was so so the second year was I you know I needed to I've never had to in my life but I did need to go counseling and I really didn't find it helpful at the time but at least the talking helped I did ring Samaritans a couple of times during my second year of midwifery training. (laughs) It's unbelievable, but yeah, it was, it was so horrific what I was seeing and hearing and imagine all your life, you think you want to be a midwife and then you go in and observe obstetric nursing thinking it's midwifery. Then you just think that your whole life has been a lie, you know, but. But then I, I realized, I, then after, I, you know, so I, I had to take three months out of training. Um, but then when I went back, I was very clear. I said, oh, I get it. Okay, so they think this is midwifery, but you know what midwifery is. Yeah. So you just hold your corner, hold your true north, get through the training, and then you can do what needs to be done. So I'm really glad that I did that. But yeah, that, that was the most rocky I've ever been in any way do you think being a black midwife did that play any part in kind of increasing the trauma because I mean I don't know back then if the statistics probably weren't readily available but we know now that you know women of color are much more likely to um, undergo trauma or you know lose their babies and so did that was that apparent to you back then No, it wasn't apparent to me at all. And I, um, you know, it, so all of this has been a big wake up call for me as well. Like people assumed that I, I knew that I knew that racism exists. I was like, you know, that was clear. But I didn't know that professionals with letters after their name could cause harm because they're racist or in a systemically racist system and get away with it. That's That was new information for me. I, I didn't know that, whilst I was training, I didn't, I, I, I wish it would have been discussed, I, but I saw it, I saw that. I saw it visited, not just by white people, I saw black people being racist to, you know, particular country, or if a black person's from a particular country, etc. I saw black, um, midwives being racist to Asian mothers. I saw 
Asian obstetricians being racist to black mothers. So I, 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 I saw it all across the board. And I honestly didn't know what to do about it. Like, mm. It's like, oh my God, you just said that in front of people, like what? And then I remember a couple of times going to my lecturers and saying, do you know what I just saw? And they, they would stammer and they'd look away and, you know, they'd kind of say, yeah, but you've just got to, you've got to complete the course and become a midwife then you can change it. So that's, that was kind of what was said at the time. And then, of course, when you become a midwife and realise that you can't change it, then then what do you do? And then, you know, look at now, it's now 2021. Mm. And, and it's as bad as ever. And then when you hear that, that, that Embrace have taken out, like subdivided black, and so the figures for that disparity in health look less. So I don't know the details. You, the experts like Mars Lord and Elsie Gale and Christina Ketchy and there's Nova Reed. Um, they know exactly what's happened, but apparently they've taken out um, biracial people out of the black camp and said, no, it's only 4.35 times more likely to happen that a black woman will die. They've kind of reduced it. They just massaged the figures. Now, it's funny because up until this point, everyone's happy to put biracial people in the black camp, mm. you know, on, on the one drop rule, you know, oh, you're not white, so you're black. Yeah. So, so we can't have it both ways. No. You can't then just take them out of the camp just to make your figures look better. So, yeah, we have a massive problem and it's 2021 and counting. Uh, when is it ever? going to get better I, don't, I, I think that's why you know I'm very much about out of the system again I don't see why people think there's safety in the system when all the evidence and all the walking wounded show otherwise when you're out of the system you can hand pick your midwife or your birth keeper or your doula mm. you can hand pick them and then you can pick the ones that aren't bloody racist I mean it's yeah. simple right yeah I know and um I think one thing that makes hand picking your team difficult is often hand picking usually means that you have to pay. Yes. Um, and so, and that's something that I've kind of grappled with um, as well, you know, and ugh, I know what you said about there's independent midwifery just doesn't really exist right now. Um, mm. But it's, it's often, yeah, people that, can't afford to pay for um help outside the system it's just uh it's just such a it just that also you know doesn't seem fair either but you have to you know if you're if you're working as as someone who is outside the system obviously you you do need to earn money that is your job um so i don't know there are two solutions katie the first one baroness cumberledge puts to um our government as part of the Better Birds Initiative. And, you know, of course, you know, anything that's going to improve stuff largely doesn't survive. So um, <laughs> she suggested that the money that's given to units, um, instead that they be given to the person chosen by the parents. So, so say if there's three grand allotted, I don't know the tariffs, but if there's three grand allotted for birth, I, I don't know the current tariffs, 
If there's three grand allotted for birth, then you put the three grand in the parents' hands and they choose who they want to attend the birth or who they want to assist them. Mm-hmm. That would go some way to fixing it. Um, but of course, no, they'd much rather get the money and spend it the way they want it, which is not a typical of the government. So we then have another option, which I'm part of, which um, it's really fitting that I'm, I'm going to spend some time sharing about Childbirth Choices Matter, mm-hmm. which is a charity yeah. that I'm part of. Um, And our solution is to have the fund available for parents that need someone to pay for their birth care. Um, So, for instance, those of us that are committed to it, we we want to regularly put money in there towards other people having access, you know, that we don't necessarily know, but we know it's worth it for future health and and for public health. so, or, you know, say, I don't think any of my grandchildren are going to be um, born or raised in the UK now, but um, I'm still going to put into the pot anyway, because it's it's the right thing to do. People need the choice. And at the moment, the choice has been taken away from them um, to choose care that is superior to what is being offered by our maternity services at the moment. Yeah. So it's a bit like... Um... I don't know. I'm just kind of uh, comparing it to a system that does exist um, for, say, childcare. You've got the government, mm. you know, you can apply for funding, you know, like mm. so you get 15 hours. For, the mm. government contributes for parents to get a certain amount of childcare. And then mm. some people are eligible for more hours and you kind of mm. go through just applying. So I guess. It could be a system sounds maybe something like that that um, instead mm. of childcare it's kind of birth care and people yeah. families could you know get funding or whatever yeah. um from yeah. that would be quite novel <laughs> but our government doesn't think that birth care is important so they're not giving any kind of attention or or assistance in that regard in fact um the government think that you know us wanting physiological birth care because it's a physiological event they think it's a cult so what can you do with that mm. really that's why that's why I'm, I'm I'm not someone I I, I would prefer we all solve this problem together but most people don't care about women's experience of giving birth or the women that look after them the majority of midwives are women it's just a woman's problem and they don't care so that's why I'm about finding solutions outside of the system. Yeah. And you're doing some amazing work, Kemi. And I think, you know, just, I know that it's not easy. Um, Nobody who works in the world of birth has an easy job, but when you're, when you're exposed to so many kind of sad, sad tales and a lot of them, you can kind of see, Oh, you know, this could have been, prevented you know but yeah. you, you can't be there you know you alone you know you can't save everyone and it's just um it's really it's really really hard to constantly be <laughs> hearing and witnessing these stories that are it's deeply traumatizing deeply deeply but you know as, as for balance you know what we do is just like have people around you that understand you, that love you, that you can be completely yourself with, eat well, sleep well, you know, make nice food choices, get nice bedding, 
you know, I'd like to, I, the, when um, I was raising my children, you know, those times I used to dye a lot. So I couldn't buy new things. So I would, I'd just dye it a different color and then it'd get a new lease of life. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be a lot of things and it was fun doing it. I'm very crafty. Yeah. I like myself and stuff. Um, you know, I'd make all my curtains, all my all my cushions to make my my living space more colourful or fresher. So it, I I just <clears throat> to preserve myself and 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 thus be be good for my kids. It was literally you know getting outside every day, and you had to with them. They're so bouncy, <laughs> so, <laughs> so bouncy getting outside every day and you know be having authentic friends and always telling your truth and yeah great music so so yeah I've just I've just done and you know thankfully I haven't had too much of a physiological imbalance to deal with people that have a physiological imbalance that affects their mental health like any other illness get treatment and sometimes you know treatment might be herbal might be homeopathic um it might be just your food groups Mm. you might need a naturopath you might need to go for allopathic medicine but you know be cared for on it not left on it so yeah there's so many ways that I am happy to employ to make sure that I stay healthy in in with my mental health yeah that's so important and thank you thank you so much for for sharing everything that you've shared today because I know you've shared some painful memories as well so you know I know that's not easy I really appreciate you being kind of open and honest and hopefully you know there might be some midwives or even doctors (laughs) listening to this that yeah um, you know makes them stop and and just reflect on their own practice and what's going on I hope so even though even that though I just feel really grateful for you asking me onto the show for the time to speak I know I've talked a lot but I just have a lot on my heart that I I want to share and um, I just feel grateful for you providing me the opportunity Katie so thank you so much oh no I'm really I'm really happy that you could that we could make it work because I don't for for people listening you're not in the UK right now where are you (laughs) I'm in Tanzania Dar es Salaam which is the city city of peace I think it's called in Tanzania and um, I'm absolutely loving it I'm not missing home right now. I'm missing people. There are some people that I'm really, really missing, but I'm definitely okay about being on the African continent right now. And I'll soon be in Central America, in Mexico as well, hopefully learning from some traditional midwives. And then I will pass on the skills. I'll pass on everything I know. Oh, that's amazing. To everyone who wants it. I know. So you're going there specifically for that or you're going to visit friends and family and then doing some midwives? So tell me about that. That sounds really cool. It's a calling. It's another, I'm just very good now at hearing these things. And I've just been called to Central America and to try and see if they'll accept me putting down some roots in Mexico, Um, Mm. the, the tropical side. So just underneath Cancun and um because tropical is good for me it's good for my hair so I need I need humidity and heat yeah. 
I do need it. <laughs> I find yeah. it a bit ill now if, mm. I, if I don't have it. But, um, but I, and I know that there are many, many skills on that part of the world um, when it comes to keeping birth. And I, and I fully expect to learn a whole lot of stuff that I don't know. Mm. I've also already had chance to reject something that's done that makes no sense. So I'm not just going to go and like have my eyes wide open, lap it all out. Like mm-hmm. there's some stuff that's done. I said, well, why don't you just do it this way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but whatever I, whatever I glean and put that with the skills I already have, um, there's a few midwives that I'm asking, and not, not just midwives and birth keepers as well that I'm asking to come and form a teaching team with me and we'll just do workshops from time to time or or something we'll do or retreats where we teach skills we're gonna we're gonna do that amazing so when you say put down roots do you think that as in you'll stay there that will be your home or you'll kind of come to and fro what's what's the what's the thinking I need tropical I need tropical do you know what though a friend of mine sent me a picture of Brighton the other day and my heart I miss it so much I love it so much I miss it I miss it and even though I wasn't born or raised there I was in London Brighton is where I would always go to heal and sit on the pebbles and think about things from childhood you know from the time I could drive because I learned to drive as soon as I possibly could and I'd be in in the car on the way to Brighton so um I must admit that is pulling me so yes I will be putting down roots somewhere tropical because it's great for my health but I I have a feeling that I will be trying to get I'll be flying back literally just to to Gatwick to head south and yeah. and stay in Brighton for a while so yeah I think I need to make that happen because I love the vibe there I love the people there I love I love everything about it it's my favorite spot in the UK well I can't wait to see you I mean any excuse for me to to take a trip to um Central America I'm there <laughs> okay Katie I will I, I swear I all of you that I know are have that heart to really make birth better for families in the right way, not take their take control or take their health in any way. All of you are invited. And um, even those that are having an epiphany about that they see birth as a medical dangerous event that women are really bad at. Um, if you fancy, you know, opening your heart to an epiphany, then you're also welcome to come down mm-hmm. to the retreat. So yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much, Kemi. Thank you for your time. And I can't wait to hear all of these about all of these adventures that you have coming up. It sounds very exciting. So go you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I know you.